you're doing for your family, your friends, your community. And then the third action is actions performed without desires, meaning whatever vasanas you have, your teacher, you teach, your parent, mother, you act on your instincts of being a mother. Most people act based on the first two, selfish, egocentric desires and unselfish desires. So karma yoga is acting without desires. In other words, doing what one ought to do without an ego. Unattached to the work, as Vanita said. Unattached to the result. Acting this way creates the best work. Also, you're practicing karma yoga, a path of action, ultimately to reach the goal of self-realization. This is karma yoga. We'll, we'll, we'll be studying it more in detail. Then verse 41 said, the body is a vehicle like a car. It can be driven by either the mind or the intellect. We said the mind is made up of likes and dislikes, feelings, emotions, love, anger, passion, envy, jealousy, hatred, kindness. This is the mind. So any action coming from the mind will be based on these textures, these qualities. Then the intellect thinks, reasons, judges, discriminates, decides. Any action directed by the intellect will be based on these qualities. So if the, mind, if the body is driven by the mind, then the actions have no direction or dimension. Only the intellect can guide the actions to its set goal. You'll find most people in the world operate from the mind rather than the intellect. Intellect is quite very poor these days. That's why we say develop the intellect. There's no program in school to teach you how to develop the intellect. So in karma yoga, when you practice karma yoga, the intellect sets up an unselfish goal, fixed worldly goal, then the goal can develop ultimately into self-realization. So Krishna is saying to Arjuna, don't act on your likes and dislikes, the whims and desires of the mind. It will only bring you sorrow. Arjuna, follow your intellect. Only the intellect can guide you in the right direction. So that's what we covered so far. Any questions? So next few verses are quite important, actually. You will be able to identify with them. So verse 42, 43, and 44 are taken up as one. Um, we'll, we'll read them individually so that uh, people can follow them, yeah? So verse 42. Yami mam pushpitam vacham pravadant yavipaschitaha veda vadartha partha the unwise utter flowery speech. Rejoicing in the letter of the Vedas, O Partha, saying, 
There is nothing else than this. Interesting verse this is. So first of all, what is the Vedas? It's referring to the Vedas. So what is the Vedas? Anybody? What is the Vedas? Anybody want to take a crack at it? What is the Vedas? The Upanishads, all the... Upanishads, yeah. Yeah, uh, Dipabin. It's the teachings um, that self-realized people have uh, written. Yeah, very good. So the Vedas is the original books, spiritual practice given to us humans who lived in the Indus Valley area around 5,000 years ago, before it was called India. So Indus Valley area, now it's India, but before they didn't have a name, it was just people who lived in that area. So the name Hindus comes from the Sindhu River, which flowed in the northern part of India. People who lived there, they were called Hindus because of the Sindhu River. So we are Hindus following Hinduism. You don't have to be, you don't have to have that label of Hinduism or Hindus, by the way, but this is how we are referred to. And Hinduism is based on the Vedas, scriptural texts. If you're following the path of Hinduism, it's based on the Vedas. Just as people who are Christians, it's based on the Bible. So being a Hindu, following Hinduism, you're following the Vedas. These are the scriptural texts. There are four Vedas. Rig Veda, Yajur Veda, Samar Veda, Atharvana Veda. Four Vedas given to us. Now, they were given at various different times. I think the Rig Veda was the first Veda given to us. It's irrelevant, but so each Veda contains the following four sections. First section, mantras. What are mantras? Chants, hymns, praising beauty of nature. Second section, brahmanas. Different rituals, pujas, sacrifices. Then the third section, aranyakas, different forms of personal worship. And then in the end portion of the Vedas is the Upanishads. And the Upanishads contains the philosophy of the supreme reality, knowledge of the self. The nearest definition of God. And this is what we are studying. We are 100% philosophy, studying, knowledge of God. Now, the reason I'm explaining this is that, and please, it doesn't matter how long it takes us to understand this, ask questions if you need to, yeah? Now, the majority of the people during the time of the Mahabharata were preoccupied, obsessive, obsessively by the rituals and sacrifice, the Brahmana section, section two, the Brahmana portion of the Vedas called Karma Kanda. The Sanskrit word is Karma Kanda. 
they practiced rituals, Garmakanda. And to them, that was the religion. Nothing else. They did not go beyond this. So that they may chant hymns, prayers, rituals. That's where they were. They practiced the rituals for selfish, worldly desires. Not for the intended purpose of purifying the mind and reaching the self. Is everyone with me? Very? Yeah, I don't know if it makes sense. Okay. So they only practice the second part of the Vedas, pujas, rituals. Example, Lakshmi Puja, you do because you want wealth. You may do Saraswati Puja for knowledge, all different sacrifices and worship to attain all worldly benefits. Nothing beyond this. It became an obsession during the Mahabharata time. So Sage Vyasa mentions this as a mockery to highlight the fact that there was hardly anyone who did this to each self-realization. None of them studied the philosophy. They were stuck there. And if you look around, it's no different today. People are still involved in ritualistic practices. Very rarely does a person go beyond this and follow the teachings for its intended purpose. And the purpose is to gain knowledge of the self and reach the goal of enlightenment. And the spiritual practitioners, they encourage it. All the temples, all these spiritual places, they encourage it. Most people, 90% are lost in the mechanical rites and rituals at the physical level. I must do this ritual every day. I must do this many mara every day. It becomes a ritualistic practice without understanding why you're doing it. This is the point we're making. There was a materialistic, selfish purpose behind the rituals they perform. Some people are involved in blind superstitious beliefs at the emotional level, the mind level. I must read these mantras 10 times every day. Or they're attached to religious concepts, ideas at the intellectual level. Only Shiva, Krishna is the true God, nobody else. So what is this verse is saying is people who practice religion today are stuck with these practices, cannot see beyond this. They don't get the real message, the philosophy. No idea about self-realization. You get that rare person, Ramatita, Swami Ramatita, Swami Tapavan, who want to reach that state. See, he says, number 42, they recite flowery speeches and do not see the reality that is beyond the world. They have no idea of the philosophy. There is nothing else than this, rituals. That's what they believe. Any questions? Anybody disagree? It's okay to disagree. See, it's not their fault. They're misguided. 
most people believe this is all there is. You light a candle in church, a devo. If you're doing something right, you're going to you go to heaven. They believe that. I go to church every day, light a candle, maybe I'll go to heaven. You do puja, mara every day, something you're doing away from your normal activities. You think you're doing something good, you'll go to heaven. We're not saying that they shouldn't do it. They're not seekers of moksha, self-realization. They have no idea about this. This is what they're saying. Any questions? Yeah, just knowing. Even though they used to that they are doing it for selfish reasons, isn't there like a little bit there that they're not thinking about themselves when they're doing the maras and that? They're still not focusing particularly on themselves. They're thinking, right, I'd have to do this. So in a little bit of a way, it's not ego. Just what I mean, it's a little bit of practice of maybe spirituality, maybe not completely the way we understand it now that yeah. we've explained it. But it's been ingrained in them, but still, I still think that it's still a little bit of benefit as opposed to nothing. Uh, absolutely. It's better than doing nothing. You're absolutely right. They're saying that people are stuck there and they're not moving forward. Yeah. They think this is the end. Doing that is being spiritual, religious, and it'll take me to self-realization. This is what they believe. They believe that it'll take them to heaven. Next verse will cover that. They, they don't understand self-realization. They they've not heard of that. They're doing it thinking they will get to heaven. Yeah. But as you said, it's better than not doing anything. One day they might ask, what is this I'm doing? Why am I doing it? But it's done mechanically. This is the point. Okay, I've got 10 minutes before I go to work. Let me quickly do some quick puja prayer. Do you know what I mean? There's no thinking behind it. It's done mechanically as a ritual, as a routine. But you're absolutely right. Um, better than doing nothing. Yeah, it's it's, descri it's prescribed in the Vedas. And what it's saying is that people don't go beyond that. Any other questions on that? So it's saying people are stuck there. They think this is the this is the end. I am a spiritual religious person because I do this many pujas every day and etc. Yeah. Okay. Next verse. Kamat mana svaga para janma karma pala pradam kriya visesa bahulam boges variagatim prati kamat mana svaga para janma karma pala pradam kriya visesa bahulam Obsessed with desires, with heaven as the ultimate goal of birth and action, they prescribe many specific rights for attainment of pleasure and power. So it's all worldly. This is why they're doing it. It's saying they have worldly desires. And these rituals are used to fulfill these desires to gain wealth, pleasure, 
power in the world. They're praying for some fulfillment, enjoyment in life. See, if you go to some temples in India, they have a list of pujas. They do. And the cost of conducting it. Mini puja, 501 rupees. Mahapuja, 1,001 rupees. Maha Maha Puja. I don't know how much that is. But you see, they have a menu card outside. And most people are doing these pujas for material gain. If I do the Maha Puja, I'll get a promotion. Someone's looking for their daughter to get married. Someone wants a visa, go to the USA for studying. Some worldly benefit. That's why most people are doing it. Or if it's not worldly benefit, they want to reach heaven. When I die, I believe if I do this puja, the more I do it, the more I practice these rituals, the greater the chance I will go to heaven and not hell. So those are the two motivations. This is what it's saying. See, people who don't know, as we said, believe heaven to be a geographical place that has even more pleasures than here in the world. So I want to go there. I want more pleasures than I have here. So what this verse is saying, these religious practitioners are not true seekers. We're not condoning them. They, it fulfills their purpose, whatever it is. We're not saying, you know, they're bad, they're wrong, or anything like that. This is where they are. The, inter, the intellect is not on gaining the self. Instead, the minds are preoccupied in the world. This is what it's saying. So then why are rituals in the Vedas, anyone? Why are there rituals there? Why are they prescribed in the Vedas? Let everyone have a little think. I need that before. Why are they prescribed there? It's in the Vedas, so they have a reason for it. Dharmesh, why are the rituals in, there in the Vedas? Different comers we need to follow. So you know, different what? Sorry. We have different bits of our brain that we need to fulfill like i forgot what it is so you know you have the prayer part the action mm -hmm. part so your body part so you, we need to follow the the bits we need to to, to silence okay fair enough what else what did, that, what did what did you have to add so it has to be initiated through something like if okay. you're, if you like if you're a karma yogi or a jnana yogi, so it has to have some start in something yeah. you're you interested in doing something. So it could start with a ritual and then you do that ritual, then you ask what is that you're doing? And then from there, it creates a path for you to follow. So it has to have a beginning and a purpose for it. But it has Absolutely. To, it, it, it might be a mechanical part of something, but it has to go above that. So you need to know what to do next after that. So I presume it's a stepping Absolutely. through this. Yeah, absolutely. At least they're thinking of God, even if it's for selfish reasons, they're thinking of God. So not everyone can have access to the philosophy. 
They may not understand it. As Ramesh said, you know, they may have not developed enough to understand the philosophy. So what do they do? Nothing. So it was made for a certain group of people. People have misunderstood the purpose of religion, the use of rituals put in place to keep the religion alive because the masses will follow the rituals. The masses will follow the rituals. Made for people who may not be educated, who do not have access, cannot understand the philosophy. He says the unwise people. We don't say that in a derogatory way. Unwise meaning they may not be, they may not have the education to understand. Rituals are also carried out these days out of devotion, fear of God. If I don't do this, bad things will happen. Rituals are not based on reason. There is no cause and effect. By doing Lakshmi Puja every day, sitting at home will not bring you wealth. Try it. By praying to Saraswati, Goddess, every day, not opening your studying book will not help you pass your exams. So there's no cause and effect relationship. This is the point we're making. So rituals are there to fulfill the masses requirements of understanding rituals, of, to understand God. And then one day someone will ask, what does this ritual mean? They'll try and find out, ask somebody, what's the philosophy behind it? And they then will come to the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita. They may go and listen to someone who will explain what they mean. So the rituals keeps the philosophy alive. Otherwise it'd be dead. If the rituals were not there, the philosophy would be dead. It's the philosophy that will uplift you and all of humanity. So that's why the rituals are there. And as you said earlier, most people are mind-led. It makes them feel good. I've been to a temple, I've done this ritual. We're not saying it's wrong. It makes them feel good at the mind level. So. The time when this philosophy was given, um, men, men were going to the Gurukul to gain knowledge, sorry, to gain uh, an understanding, okay, to gain uh, knowledge of spirituality and things like that. Women were never given that opportunity, mm. okay, and if it was led by the uh, Kshatriya and the Brahmana race, hmm. then what? How does how does this relate to women then? Because at that time, if all of this is directed, women were not allowed to go and get the knowledge. Men were. Hmm. So to say that we were stuck in a place as a woman, we had no choice. 
So we're not um, saying the merits of if it's right or wrong. Yeah, by the way, I'm confronted by mainly ladies here. Yeah. <laughs> Benita, you have an answer. So it, there, I, this, I did a bit of research, and actually, women were allowed to go to Gurugul. They did have a place for women to go to, but it depended on obviously where they were in India, what they had access to. So it was like a depend it depended on what type of family you were from from a certain age you were allowed to go and then it was up to you whether you came back and then decided to you know got, get married or whatever it was so there are actually a lot of enlightened women but men obviously don't want women to know about it I suppose I don't know over the years so, but actually there is quite a lot and it's it's I can't think of what it's called but it's it's called a Brahmini something I can't remember properly but if you google it actually there is there's quite a lot it was a it was quite a common thing for women to go away but it just obviously didn't carry on I suppose or it's not maybe talked about as much maybe but there is some there's quite a lot of enlightened women there you go thank you Vanita. excellent we're not condoning we're saying that during the Mahabharata time everyone were ritualistic yeah, majority were ritualistic, men and women. We're not saying men were went to learn philosophy while the women were ritualistic. We're saying everybody, most people were ritualistic. Any other questions? Bernabin, could you read up to the last paragraph, please? Don't you have one more verse to go? Yeah, I'll do that at the end. Okay. All right, so I'll just read. The celebrated poet, Sage Vyasa, compiled the great scriptural text called the Vedas. The Vedas are four in number, Rig Veda, Yaju Veda, Sama Veda, and Atharvana Veda. Each of these Vedas contain the following four sections. Section one, mantras, lyrical chants eulogizing the beauty of nature. Section two, Brahmanas, injunctions for many diverse rituals. Section three, Aranyakas, various methods of subjective worship. And section four, Upanishads, sublime philosophical teachings of the supreme reality. The Brahmanas form the major part of the Vedas, dealing with the Karmakanda, the elaborate rituals and sacrifices. At the time of the Mahabharata, people were lost in the Karmakanda portion of the Vedas. They developed a terrible obsession for ritualistic practices in the name of religion. Sage Vyasa, also the author of the Bhagavad Gita, introduces this portion as a satire on obsession ritualism. The present three verses deplore the state of deterioration in religious practices prevalent in those days. They ridicule the people's indulgence in rituals for their own selfish ends. The Karmakanda portion of the Vedas was meant to purify the minds of religious practitioners and prepare them for the ultimate stage of meditation and realization. These practices, practices were the means to the end of God realization. 
but people plunged into Karmakanda as an end in itself. They performed the various rituals with a def definite materialistic selfish motive. They believed these rituals would earn them the fulfillment of their mundane desires. Such misguided practitioners of religion did not aspire for or attempt to reach the supreme state of God consciousness. The situation seems to be much the same in the modern world. Religion has come to mean either mechanical rites and rituals followed at the physical level, or blind superstitions and beliefs entertained at the emotional level, or fanatic attachment to religious concepts at the intellectual level. Rare indeed are those who escape these religious ills even today. Fewer still follow the clear path to the transcendental reality. Thank you. Any questions? That's what we covered so far. So we do verse 43 now, 44, sorry. O Daya Paratachati Tasam Vyavasayatmika Buddhihi Samadona Vidyate O Gesvariya Prasaktanam Daya Paratachati Tasam Vyavasayatmika Buddhihi those who are attached to pleasure and power, whose minds are drawn away by that flowery speech, have no determined intellect fixed in samadhi, God consciousness. So this is the last portion. He's saying, so saying, so spiritual practice is not for wealth and power but for gaining spiritual enlightenment. To get out of the world, not get deeper into it. So don't get stuck with spiritual practices. If they have a purpose, then you drop it and you move on, keep moving forward. You've now come to the Upanishad part. This is what we're studying. You have an interest in it. Once you have some knowledge, you understand the futility of doing rituals. You might think, well, there's no cause and effect towards it. Why am I doing this? You may question it once you have the knowledge. There's nothing wrong in stopping it, by the way. It's like the example given, like a pole, pole vaulting. A pole vaulter runs with a pole and jumps over a bar at a certain height. Everyone aware of that, yes? Now, he needs his pole to jump over the bar. Without the pole, he cannot plunge himself to that height to jump over. But he can't take the pole with him. He needs to drop the pole, leave it behind, only then he can get over the bar. Does everyone agree? Yeah, you jump. You, you run up with the pole, you lift yourself up, you drop the pole, and then you go over the bar. You cannot get over the bar with the pole. So without the pole, he can't cross over the bar. 
But if he hangs on to the pole, he can't cross over the bar either. Similarly, if you get stuck with the non-essentials of religion, how will you move forward? Religious practices are there to take you to a particular point. Once you have got to that point, you drop it. So rituals take you to a certain point, to the Upanishads, to the knowledge. Thereafter, it served this purpose, just like the pole. Then you concentrate on the knowledge, the understanding. Any questions? This is what it's saying. You need those things if that's where you are. But move forward. So. So if you're completing spiritual practices and they do help you to think of the higher, mm. not, not have the ability to meditate and mm. stuff, but if it, if it keeps reminding you uh, of the higher mm. in any form whatsoever, surely that's got to be beneficial. No, absolutely. Anything that reminds you of that higher being is beneficial to you. But as you develop, you don't need that. Everything will remind you of that higher in the world. So it's a matter of developing. Once you see birds in the garden and it reminds you of the higher, once you see flowers in the garden and it reminds you of the higher, why do you need to do the rituals to remind you of the higher? You have developed to that level, to a higher level. So it's saying you don't need that anymore. It's up to you if you do it or not. Yeah. But it's saying you don't need to do that anymore. Because you've rised up from that. You've developed up from that. Now it's your choice if you do it or not, but I'm just telling you what it says in the Gita. It has a means to end, just like the pole vaulter needs the pole to get over the bar. Once you're at that fourth section of studying the Upanishads, then it's the philosophy that will uplift you, not the rituals. This is what it means. Any questions on that? Yeah, Dhanamesh. You need to be ready to let go of the pole, that's all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're not saying that after this class you do that. It's just... To explaining what how the Vedas are, are designed, yeah. What spiritual practice there is, there is a ladder that you have to rise in spirituality. You can't have your foot on the bottom rung and and the next rung up. If you want to carry on up, you need to lift that left leg up and move it to the next rung to to go higher. Otherwise, you're limited to how high you can go up that ladder. This is what it's saying. But we get attached to it. This is the problem. The mind gets attached to these rituals. I've got to do this today. Because I've been doing it all my life. She said it feels nice. What feels nice? It feels nice to the mind. The mind enjoys it. I'm not here to tell you what to do, by the way. Yeah. We're just deciphering verse 42 
43 and 44 to say what I say. What you do is up to you. <laughs> this particular verse is always gets people's back up, if I'm honest with you. Because the mind is attached to the rituals. So by practicing karma yoga, the path of path of action, you purify your mind of worldly desires. Once you have reduced your desires, your mind is stable. It no longer entertains worldly desires. And what happens? It's prepared for concentration. You are ready then for meditation. And then meditation is performed by the intellect's guidance of the mind. And then through single-pointed meditation, you reach the ultimate state of desirelessness, God consciousness. So this is what karma yoga takes you to, by practicing karma yoga. It's all about reducing desires, basically, all three paths. Because it's the desires that keep you attached to the world. Anything that takes you away from the world is yoga. I don't know, man. Last paragraph, please. The unwise merely recite the beautiful hymns of the Vedas. They utter flowery speeches. They seem to be stuck with words and phrases. They fail to see the reality that lies beyond this material world. Obsessed with worldly desires, such short-sighted practitioners observe certain rights for attaining pleasure and power. Their ultimate goal in life is to reach heaven. However, they misconstrue heaven as a geographical place for suprasensuous enjoyment. Their minds are preoccupied with the affairs and pleasures of the world. They do not direct their intellects towards the transcendental. They are far removed from God consciousness. Whereas a karma yogi dedicates his actions to a higher ideal in life, he works without ego and egocentric desires and cleanses his personality of existing desires. His mind is no longer preoccupied with the external world. It is available for concentration, dharana, and meditation, dhyana. The intellect guides a mind so disciplined through single-pointed meditation to samadhi, the supreme state of thoughtlessness or desirelessness, the ultimate goal of God consciousness. Thank you. Any questions? Just a moment. So, um, having come to all these classes in life, I kind of feel now I've developed a desire to not just gain the higher knowledge, but trying to practice all that and reach enlightenment, because that's the ultimate goal. But that's now a desire, which isn't a right thing then, is it? Because it shouldn't be, <laughs> do you see what I mean? It's a conflict for me, that it shouldn't be a desire. It should be just something that I should be doing for, I guess in some ways it's become a selfish desire that I want to reach enlightenment, but I know it's not going to be in this lifetime, probably don't know which way around it will be but then 
how how do I go forward with that and not make it become a debate? Good question. Very good question. Everyone understand Swishna Ben's question. The first part of the question is if I want to reach self-realization, it's also now a desire. Yeah, which is the first dilemma. Am I right, Trishnamin? Mean, because you yeah. broke up a little bit at the time, yeah? And the second, yeah, and your second portion is that how do I move up that path? I may not reach that this life, but how can I uh, move forward in this? So anybody want to take a punt at Trishnamin's question? Yeah, Vanita? So it's a selfless desire to hire yourself. So you're not really doing anything. It's, it's like a, you're thinking of a higher ideal. So it's not really selfish to become like that, I suppose, in one aspect. And the second one, they shouldn't, you shouldn't worry for when you get to that point, because that's something you think have to be in the present. You can't think about the future, isn't it? So as long as you're taking steps towards it, that's the best thing you can do. But if you're thinking of the higher and you want to ultimately gain samadhi, then that is a selfless desire, isn't it? I, I think I understand. So the difference here is worldly desires and selfless desires. Most people have desires in, for the world to gain something in the world, which is what you're confusing yourself with, Joshnabin. This isn't a desire for some benefit in the world, it's a desire to get out of the world. It's an unselfish, selfless desire. The whole goal is to get out of the world, the attachment to the world, and reach the state of self-realization. When you reach that stage, you understand the truths of life, that this world is an illusion. You're trying to get out of that illusion. Do you see the difference? Just a minute. Yeah. So you cannot give that desire the same value as you get give desires in the world. It's a completely different desire. The merits of that desire, we can use the same word desire, yes, but it's not selfish or unselfish. It's a selfless desire. You're doing what you need to do in life as a human being. That is your goal your purpose, the reason you're born as a human being. And that's what you're, doing, what you're following. So you can't even put it in the same category. Yeah? Call it maha desire, if you want. <laughs> yeah? A great desire. Unworldly desire. So that's, that's the first half. Is that okay, Rishnamin? Yeah, but it's like, yeah, I think I'm putting it in the same category because it's the fruits of the action that I want or the aim is the fruits of the action, isn't it? Whatever actions I perform for that, but as you explained, it's, it's a selfless action. It's a selfless action, yeah. yeah. So gaining the fruit is part of it, but I shouldn't yes. yeah, confuse it with that, which I have. Yes, yeah. yes, separate it from that. It's a, it's... It's basically your ultimate goal in life as a spiritual person. Nothing compared to anything else which is worldly. See, the difference is one keeps you attached to the world, the other takes you out of the world. Look at it that way. 
Yeah, one attaches you to the world, one takes you away from the world. Anything that takes you away from the world is a selfless desire, which is what you need to be doing. Yeah. Good. I'm glad I'm glad you asked that question. The second part of your question, don't be result orientated. Put the effort into the action. I want to reach that goal in this lifetime. What do I need to do to reach that goal in this lifetime? While you're performing your duties, how can I perform this action, karma yoga that I need to do so that I can convert it into a higher ideal, an ideal of self-realization? How can I perform this action to get me out of this world? You may perform the same action but you're looking to do it for another reason, a selfless reason. This is karma yoga. That way you're reducing your desires. As you reduce your desires, you reach that state. You'll become more clear as we move along this, um, this chapter, next few chapters, Joshnaben. But I'm glad you asked that question. Arunaben, you had a question. Is that okay, Joshnaben? Yeah, good. I was just going to say that it's part of our evolving, isn't it? Because once we realize that we do have this desire to actually um, have a higher and, and, and you know, become self-realized, which is the ultimate goal, just that knowledge and acceptance will help us to um, decrease our desires. And uh, that's okay, I think, what Joshnabin is saying that it's okay to have that because we have this knowledge. Maybe in future life we'll get to that stage where we will have no desires at all yep. and we'll still be able to perform our actions. See, you, you take your the problem is that we look at our life as I am Joshnabin, born on this date, and one day when you die, you'll that will be the end of you. You don't look at it that way. Look at your life from the beginning of time when you first were born till the end when you reach moksha, self-realization. Everything in between is just different bodies. The personality is the same. So you will reach that goal whenever, whoever you are. Yeah. So this lifetime is meaningless. Look at the whole lifespan that you have taken birth, died, birth, died in different bodies. And if you walk this path one day, Whoever you are, whenever, you will reach that state. So look at your life as one big lifespan, not little lifespans as different personalities that we're born in. Does that make sense, Trishnabin? Yeah, so don't worry about this particular lifetime. Think of it as a whole, whole lifespan. Any other? clarifications, any other questions? See, we, be, we, in, we believe in reincarnation. So whatever we did last, last lifetime, the lifetime before, we're dealing with the situation now. Our actions, our desires are based on that, on cause and effect, karma. So how can we separate that? The, the amount of times I've mentioned that we're born in the West, we're so fortunate. Yes, we have all the luxuries. You see all the people, Afghanistan, all these other countries, African countries, 
you know, the kind of situation they're in, the state they're in. Look where we are, look where they are. You know, based on our past actions, karma, we have been born in this environment where we have all the pleasures, all the, all, all the mod cons, everything available to us. And something great that you have done in your past lives has brought you to this knowledge. You may have done so many rituals before, yeah, and now you deserve to come to this knowledge. You've gone up the rung of the ladder to come to this knowledge. Can you imagine what actions you may have done in the past? So you're close, if you think about it. I know you may sound funny, but if you look at it logically, you're close, aren't you? Just knowing all of you. Now it's up to you how much effort you put in in this lifetime as to when you get there. It's all in your hands. Do you think it makes a difference as to the level of desire for it? So is it a, you know, is it just a fleeting desire or is it a real hardcore desire that, you know, that surely that makes a difference, right? Absolutely. The level of desire, I mean, the, the stronger the desire, the more chance of it being fulfilled, isn't it, really? So you want a new car, the harder you work, save up money. If that desire is really, really strong, you'll end up buying that car. Similarly, if this desire to get out of this world and reach that state is strong enough, you put all your efforts into it, why wouldn't it not materialize? It has to materialize. Any other questions? Damish. I think what, what's happening is that we're not realizing that, you know, a desire's brought us here and it's goal orientated. But once we realize how to, how to react to desires and how to use the desire, it's no longer a goal because now you're changing the way you think of that desire and the outcome. And that's yeah. the important part. It's no longer, I'm going to do this, I'm going to get mobster. No, it's, I'm going to do this to live a better life. Think of others, and that will give you moksha. It's, that it's a stepping stone. It's a stepping stone. Exactly. See, we're, none of, we're all homeowners. We all have families. We all have attachments. We, have all, we all have created this in our lifetime. None of us can leave everything and go and live in a cave in India. Yeah, you can't even live in a cave in your garden. <laughs> You'll need some luxuries to come back to in the house. Cup of coffee or tea or whatever. <laughs> so we're not prepared for that. So therefore, um, we, have, we have to deal with that. But that doesn't mean we can't attain it, by the way. Yeah, many householders have reached that state. But this is who we are. This is, our, this is what we have. We're in that state at the moment. So based on that, we have to fulfill our purpose while thinking of the higher. And you've just started the journey, if I'm honest with you. All of you have just started. Even I'm still on the journey. You know, uh, the amount of effort you put in, you will increase your level of understanding and you move up. That's all it is. But the fact is you're, you've started the journey. That's the main thing.
once you start the journey, you will get to the end. That you can be reassured of. Good. Any other questions? We're going to sign off. Also got one. So we talk a lot about desires hmm. and reducing them in relation to gaining, I suppose, advancing towards spirituality. And, you know, on the one level, we think, well, uh, how bad can desires be? But is it because if the mind is preoccupied on thinking of desires, fulfilling them, then it's not thinking of the higher. Well, that, desires. It, yeah. well um, yeah, but if, if that is that what the correlation is, is that the mindset is just too busy and therefore doesn't have the time to think of the higher. Yeah. Is that okay? So you're in the world, you're acting in the world, you come to Sunday morning class for an hour and says, get out of the world, don't think of the world, think of something higher. For that one hour, you believe, yes, that's what I must do. But once the class is over, you're back to your normal self, thinking of the world. Okay, so it takes time, it's difficult. Fix your mind. See, this portion that we're saying is, okay, you're in the world, you have to act. There's nothing, you have to act. This is, there's no two ways about it. So why don't you, but when you act, why don't you change that into something higher? Then you're thinking of God, you're thinking of moksha, self-realization while you're acting. I'm doing this action, but my goal is to reach moksha. How can I convert this action so it becomes something higher, whatever that may be, rather than a selfish desire? And that's what we're going to be learning how to do. So while you're acting, fulfilling your desires in the world, you're thinking of that higher state. Otherwise, for one hour in the Sunday morning, you come to class and everything else you forget about, it's not going to work. Fix your mind. What is it? Jesus Christ said, fix your mind on me. Whenever you're acting in the world, whatever you're doing, fix your mind on me, meaning think of me while you're acting. Same thing here. This is what we're saying. Think of Brahman. Think of the higher while you're acting in the world. We'll learn how to do that. This is Karma Yoga. Okay. We'll call it a day. We have no idea how these verses are going to, you know, Q&A questions and so on. So, you know, we said up we'll do up to 46 or 47, but we have to go as the class flows. Ravi, no talk, no uh, translation for two weeks. That's why I've been re reading them anyway, so it's all good. See, the fact is that you've been reading them now for two weeks. So you've absorbed a lot more now by then. Okay. So we'll have, uh, if anybody has a question, uh, Tuesday, group discussion. The, it's available for you. So once again, you see, you have another, another, another reason on Tuesday evening, you have another option to think of the higher, learn this philosophy by questioning, answer. It's a, a more relaxed atmosphere, a more relaxed situation. But you have a chance to expose yourself to this knowledge more. How many of you are taking it?
take that opportunity. Now you've increased your chances uh, and being exposed to twice a week in to this knowledge. So, so we're okay, Raben, Venita, for Tuesday evening? Okay, so 7.30 to 8.30. Join us, as many, many as you can, many other people can. We need to get serious now. Great. We'll see some of you on Tuesday and the rest of you on Sunday. Thank you.